There it is. I'm Charles Holmes from The Ringer Music Show. And I'm Cole Kushner from Dissect. And Charles and I are teaming up to create Last Song Standing, a new show where we determine an artist's single best song by debating our way through their entire catalog. And for our first season, we're covering Kendrick Lamar. We're talking Good Kid to Pimple Butterfly, Damn, Mr. Morale, the mixtapes, the Lucy's, and the features. Listen to Last Song Standing on the Dissect podcast feed only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. All right, welcome back, everybody. Guys, every week I tell you this is a summer of treats. It just gets better and better. Because the treat you're getting today is a personal one as well as professional. What we have is the new show, She-Hulk, is has just premiered on Disney+. Plus For all you Marvel fans, I know you've been waiting for this. But I have... The showrunner and executive producer of She-Hulk, uh, a good friend of mine, the Emmy winner, and the brilliant Jessica Gao. Welcome to Black on the Air, Jessica. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so excited. I know, Jessica. This You've been working on this for so long. You've been pouring your whole heart, soul, and brain, and wit, and everything, vision into this. And congratulations. It's so entertaining. It's, it's so... You know, it's funny because this it's a comedy, but you go, wait, this is this is supposed to be a comedy, you know. And in the Marvel, they're always kind of funny anyway, but I guess they're adventures, but it's got everything in it. It's really well done. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. I mean, three years I've been working yeah. on. You saw me in Atlanta. I know. I was in a bad place. You were keeping it together. Keeping it together. Yeah. <laughs> I gave you credit, just get I went out to breakfast it was, um, uh, last fall, I guess. But, it was uh, a full year ago. Yeah, because yeah. I was in Atlanta shooting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, catching up with you. Yeah, you were going through it at that time. I remember there were a lot of <laughs> uh, problems going on. And I'm like, yep, these are the showrunner problems. That's good. These are the showrunner problems. <laughs> but look at you, man. You got through it. You back in one piece. It's this is the Jessica Gow that I know. <laughs> well, for people who don't know, Larry yeah. and I worked on an ABC pilot together. It was yes. the pilot that I created, and Larry was the showrunner. And I mean, the, from that first meeting, I was well. Even before the meeting, when they asked me, yeah. like, you know, who do you want on a showrunner list? I, you know, I, I was like, it ha- has to be Larry. And then they're like, why don't you ask? Well, we got to see if he wants to. And we got to, so you got to meet each other first, and then. I just remember that first meeting so clearly that like yeah. we just immediately clicked. It was so great. Sometimes you have these love affairs in showbiz. By love affair, I mean where you instantly click with somebody and it's just a it's just the greatest thing. Jessica, your show was so great. I love the fact we'll talk about this for a second, then we'll get into it. Cause I have to give you props. You know, Jessica wrote a show about her family. It's Chinese Chinese American family, and it was so funny. The characters are so hilarious, you know, and she hadn't run that type of show before, so we got to team up. But I was so excited to help, you know, bring that type of show to network television because we know we only when you're in 
that position of the minority and you're not represented that much, you only get a couple of shots where they go, well, I guess the type of show doesn't work. you know. Yeah. And so there's all that thought. But going through, it was so special, just the casting and working on that show was so much fun. Yeah. And also, we were so food focused, remember? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jessica's a big time foodie. But Jessica, also, you are fiercely funny and inventive person in... And I'm so happy that you're doing this show because I think it really, this show more than actually the other show, which I thought would have been great. But it's funny for the other show not going, it allows you to do this show. Yes. Like that's why I have to just be like every opportunity I don't get is just yeah. paving the way for another opportunity that w- yeah. is probably better. And it feels like the type of show that you've been on the road to do anyway, right? You Because you started in animation and uh, mm-hmm. you won the Emmy for Rick and Morty. Was that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. For uh, writing Pickle Rick. I read that you had actually pitched a couple ideas to the Marvel people before. Right. Oh, yeah. But I, I've been rejected by that multiple <laughs> times. Can you talk about that? Yeah. yeah what happened with this? You knew this even when we were working on yeah. pilot that like I, 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 I kept saying like all I want to do is write a Marvel movie. Like I was so into the the MCU, but also yeah. just the lifelong comic book reader. So Right. I just wanted to, you know, by hook or by crook, I wanted to get into Marvel. And mm-hmm. I pitched on three different movies because this was before they did TV. I pitched on three different movies, mm-hmm. soundly rejected three times. Right. Um, but well, actually, that's not true because like I think there was like the first time or maybe the second, there were a couple of times where they were like, oh, it was so close. Like you basically mm-hmm. were the second choice. And I was like, well, ah, make me feel better. Like, I know you don't want to hear that. Yeah. I want to, yeah. I want to lose by a mile, not by a Yes, pitch. exactly. <laughs> exactly. First thing I pitched at Marvel was on the Black Widow movie. Honestly, like I, I look back on my pitch and I was like, oh, that was a bonkers pitch. Like they, there was no chance in hell they were going to, after seeing, especially after seeing the Black Widow movie they made, I was like, right. we're not trying to make the movie. I was, right, 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 right. But, uh, but I had She-Hulk in that pitch because she was my favorite character from the comics. So she was in, she was prominent in your Black Widow pitch, She-Hulk. Yes, she was. I mean, to the point where the first iteration of it, because, you know, you work with, you basically work with the producer, the, the okay. studio exec. You work with the producer who's in charge of that project and, and you work to develop for weeks your pitch. And so. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, wow. You know, I had She-Hulk in it so much that he was like, yeah. this feels like a She-Hulk movie that you're putting Black Widow into. Black Widow's guest starring yeah. in the She-Hulk movie. Yeah. <laughs> but he also said, you know, when I first brought up She-Hulk, he was like, you're the first person in the building to talk about She-Hulk, you know? Oh, so I, that was very exciting for me. And, um, you know, I, I didn't get the job, but I did say, you know, I did a follow-up afterwards and I said, if if you guys ever do a She-Hulk movie, you better call me uh, wow. because, because that's my girl, you know? And yeah. don't call me. I will burn this building to the ground. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, so when did you first get introduced to She-Hulk? How old were you? Like, and what was it about that character that caught your imagination? I don't remember exactly when, but I was well into adulthood because, uh, you know, when I was younger, like my first job in high school was uh, at the local comic book store. Oh, wow. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it was a dream job because yeah. it was a comic book store that I would go to. And I remember always thinking like, God, it must be so cool. Like, this is a this would be like the pinnacle achievement of a kid a- in a candy shop. Yeah, yeah. The ultimate. And so when I turned 16 and, you know, could get like a could actually legally work. I that was the first place I went to. And God bless them for for hiring this 16 year old psychopath. <laughs> and it was just so great. And it was an enormous store. It was 6,000 square feet. It was wow. a comic book and record store. So, I mean, it truly was like the coolest store that I, I could ever imagine. Yeah, um, and absolutely. when I worked the shifts, I, I worked alone. And so, I mean, it's not a hugely bustling place. So I. Yeah, but that's crazy. You're a teenager oh, working totally. that place alone. Yeah, that's crazy. And I would, <laughs> you know, and I would just spend my days like reading all the comics, you know, on the wow. shelf. And I would like slowly make and i i think every dime that wasn't used for gas money went back went straight back into the store i think the first few months i worked there i only worked for store credit they didn't even pay me they just paid me in store credit that's amazing though that's great yeah Yeah. that was incredible for you know for education loved comics yeah Yeah. so i mean i was just leaving with my pay and it would just be a stack of comics you know yeah um and then when i was in college i organized because uh and so through this comic book store is how I went to Comic-Con for the first time. Um, I always knew mm-hmm. about Comic-Con, but 
you know, I grew up in LA, so it was only two hours away, but right. You know, I mean, it was prohibitively expensive for me at the time. Cause back then sure. like whopping $60 to go to get a four day pass. Right. But then you had to stay somewhere. Yeah. You know, and also being yeah. 16, like were my parents going to let me go and get out? Exactly. And this comic book store would go every year and get a booth because this was back when no, like Hollywood hadn't discovered. Uh, they hadn't invaded yeah. it. It was mm-hmm. just all comics. And so, I mean, the biggest booths were Marvel Comics, DC Comics, and Dark Horse. And so local comic book stores could go and have a booth and sell stuff, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, and I remember thinking like, when it was summer, I was like, oh my God, I hope they, you know, I hope they take me because I know they're going to go to Comic-Con. I really hope they take me. And they knew how much I wanted to go. And they really like, they, they spent like the first half of summer telling me like, there's no chance. We're not going to take you, you know, why would mm-hmm. we take you? And it was just them hazing me because like then a, like a week or two weeks before Comic-Con, they were like, just kidding. You get to come with us. And of course, then I had to like talk my parents into letting me go. But thankfully they're, as you know, so negligent that they were. <laughs> we'll come back to that a little later. I want to talk about your <laughs> yeah. parents later, but that's so funny. I remember leaving because I I was doing summer school and I remember leaving summer school, driving straight to the comic book store and parking in the parking lot of the comic store and just had my like overnight bag and um, and then showing up. And I I brought a little like little tiny travel pillow Mm -hmm. and they're like, what's that? And I said, a travel pillow for, you know, to sleep on the way there. And they said, you're driving the merch van. And so (laughs) so I was driving this like old rickety van that was filled to the gills with oh my God. All the comics and products and merchandise that we were going to. It's like a Brinks truck for the comic Yeah, book. yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> even the passenger seat was filled with like, you know, the booth displays and things like that. And yeah. like, it was such an old, old like minivan. And it had like, basically I could choose either to drive more than 60 miles an hour or have air conditioning. So I'd like, <laughs> I drove all the way down, like with the windows down, but also like, so just white knuckling it because you know i i probably had only had my license for like six months you know the trust that people gave oh my man. god they, they trusted. <laughs> i mean with they i had a key to the store i had the, the, wow. the security system i worked alone yeah. like they i mean they were very lucky that i was a very trustworthy kid yes Right, and, right, right. Uh, you know, I drove the van down like without incident and it was just uh-huh. i mean you know truly a trial by fire and it was just, I mean, it was a dream come true. Like, and that was the beginning of me going to Comic-Con every single year. Wow. And in those days, so you were a fan of all of that, you know, and there's, uh, you know, you meet people who are fans of those. Most people are collectors. And it's such an interesting universe, the Comic-Con and comic book universe and all that. But it's different to want to be a writer of it. Like, mm-hmm. when did that idea first get in your head that, you know what? I may, I want to write this stuff <laughs> as opposed to you just someone who enjoys it, you know? It was an ebb and flow journey throughout my life uh-huh. because when I was, when I was like in kindergarten and first grade, I had told my parent, I wanted to be an author illustrator because. Wait, was this when you were sent to China or. Uh, this or? was in between coming. <laughs> this was it. We're going to have to tell that story. This yes, was in we'll between story, coming yeah. to America and then being sent okay. back to China. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. This is the three-year window that I thought that my Got life it. was just going to be America only. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I wanted to be an author illustrator because in my world, all books had pictures, you know? So, right. So, I, you know, that to, a book to me had words and pictures. Right. Every novel was a graphic novel. Exactly. Yeah. I, wanted right. to, mm-hmm. I wanted to make books. And I told my parents I wanted to be an author. And I remember them saying, well... Uh, hope you enjoy uh, sleeping in the gutter and eating garbage because that's that's what your life will be like if you become a writer. And right. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't sound appealing to me. I don't want to do either of those things. So I guess I won't be an author <laughs> illustrator. Sounds like your parents are into Bukowski. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I went through so many iterations of like, well, what other job? You know, I went through like every sure. kid iteration of I'll be this, I'll be that. And, but I was always uh, really into drawing. Like even as a toddler, I loved drawing. And mm. oddly enough, my mom very much encouraged that, which seems so weird because that seems like an even less stable profession than wanting to be a, an author. Um, and so she was always like, I'll buy you any art supplies. I'll, I'll, I'll pay for any art class. Like she really encouraged art, which is so oh, that's weird. Yeah. yeah. So I was an art major. I was a fine arts major. Um, I went to UCLA and, um, mm-hmm. and, but then, Second quarter in, I was like, oh, no, this is not right for me. I, I, I'm i not doing this. Um, you know, that program is very like 
highfalutin, you know, it's like a mm-hmm. lot of like famous artists, you know, it's, it's a gallery track and it's not for people who like to, who want to draw and make comics. And you who know? are creative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. It's a lot more of learning how to convince people that you're a genius. You know? Yes. It's a curating yes. path. Yes. yes. You want to be so, a curator. Yeah. yeah. So very quickly I was like, I, this is not for me. I don't want to be a gallery artist. But I also don't want to read or write during college, so I'm just not going to switch majors because there was nothing else. I don't want to read or write during college. Oh, my God. What a goal. I love your goals. How, how can I get through college? I, I, well, I don't want to read or write. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I know, that's why art school hmm. was so perfect initially, yeah. you know? Hmm. This is going to be a challenge, but I know I can do it. <laughs> well, you know, being Asian, it was not it was not an option for me to not have a college degree, you know? So, that's right. A minus is like an F. Right? More, not yeah. like it. It is an F. And so, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, so I didn't switch majors, but because I'm a good Asian, I just, I graduated in three years. And, um, and, but I had this very useless art degree because, I mean, it's, it's totally wild to like get a degree in something you've already decided you'd never want to pursue, you know? Right. Sure. Well, a lot of people, many people go to law school and have no desire to be a lawyer. Yeah. It's fascinating how much money they spend and everything. And yeah. I'm yeah. good. I'm good, law. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to say, I'm so happy. Like as a California resident yeah. to go to a UC, I mean, my tuition was $4,000 a year. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm very grateful for that too. And so I, so I get this, art degree. And I'm like, I definitely won't use it. But I mean, the the whole point of it was just so I could have a degree from UCLA that so that my parents could say to their friends, Oh, my daughter went to UCLA, and then just hope that they don't ask what I studied, you know. And uh, so I, I, you know, I get out of school, and I don't know what I want to do. All I know is I don't want to be a gallery artist, which is not helpful. So I moved to England for a little bit, you know, as you do. And uh, then I came back to LA, you know, I'm truly have no idea what to do living back back with my parents have no money spent all my money in england and uh because i was working there but then you know in la i started working just random jobs like you know my friend worked at a marketing place so he said you know come in as a temp and then i ended up working there for a year mm-hmm. um and then when they tried to promote me i quit on the spot which wow. they were shocked that that's someone's reaction to getting promoted interesting well i but did it because i knew i didn't want to work in marketing i was and I, gonna say yeah you know, yeah yeah and i knew yeah. that even if I didn't know what I wanted to do, I knew it wasn't going to be marketing. And yeah, and you're like, I do not want to get on the road to exactly. making more money and being promoted in this thing. Yes. I'd rather make the least amount possible and <laughs> bolt bolt at yeah. any time, right? No, yes, I understand exactly. that. Yeah, No, I totally. Because yeah. I knew that if I took that job and I kept getting promoted, I, I would get comfortable because I then I get so used to the creature comforts of, you Absolutely. Know. It's interesting. Poverty is a good incentive to keep your dream alive. Uh-huh. 100%. <laughs> it actually is. And, I, and I'm not being uh, flipped with that. You know, when I started stand-up, I was living on a floor. My dad was, he went back to school, he was in medical school, and I was staying with him for a while. And I was going to open mic nights, uh, can't, you know, happy. He had an apartment on campus and I, you know, I just slept at his floor eating turkey a la king out of cans. <laughs> I remember it. But it was, it was, and being shamed, you know, that by, of how long I had to stay there. But it made me write every single day, Jessica, mm-hmm. when in my standard, every single day and trying every open, because I had to get out of there, you know, and I had to do the thing that I wanted to do, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it really forces you to like yeah. to not just be comfortable. Like when you're not comfortable, you actively yeah. work harder to get to the point of more comfort, you know? And right. I mean, that's really what it was. And um, and so, you know, but then I thought like, well, I'm working as an off attempt, so I'm making no money and I already live with my parents. I have no savings, like, cause I can't even afford to live on a, to move out of my parents' house. Like I'm at this point, 22. I feel like I have one foot in the grave. I have one chance wow. to, <laughs> I had because you know everybody I knew from college was already like getting their first job, marching towards whatever, building towards whatever they wanted to do, making real money. Yeah, right. and I just felt like, oh my god, like I don't know what I, I I'm not building towards anything. Like that was the panic mm. was that like if I at least if I had a goal, I would know the next steps to take, but I didn't know what the steps were because I didn't know where I was going, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was the panic that that was constantly setting in, and so. Because I had organized those comic book conventions in college, I had become friends with like a group of like one generation older, like indie artists, you know, mm-hmm. and they, they were all like 10 years older than me. And, but they, you know, to me, they were like full grown adults who had careers, you know, their careers, their followings, they were, pub- they were published. 
And so I thought, well, these guys, they obviously know. <laughs> so they got I, the answers. Yeah. So I basically, um, I had an intervention for myself where I went to all of them and said, what should I do with my life? Because as oh. you know, I'm 22 and probably only have one more shot at life at this point. And wow. <laughs> That's how I felt. One more shot at life. One more shot at life. And then I'm just going to have to like shuffle off into the sunset as a loser forever, you know? (laughs) Oh, no. no, 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 no. (laughs) So, uh, and across, what surprised me was across the board, like unanimously, they all said, oh, you should be a writer. You should absolutely just write. You're a storyteller. And I said, okay, I'll take your word for it. Um, Because obviously you guys know better than me. (laughs) And so, um, and I, you know, I really thought about it and I, and I thought I should write for animation because I watch a lot of animation. I understand the mm-hmm. medium. And also it felt like a good transition from comic books. Absolutely. Yeah. And because I was friends with all these indie comic book artists and I was uh, mostly reading indie stuff, usually it's very like auteur, you know, type of comics where it's like the same person writes and draws and it's kind of their passion project and their baby. And, you know, they have mm-hmm. creative control. So I, and so that was kind of what was holding me back from trying to pursue that because as you know, as we've established, I no longer wanted to draw. <laughs> right. And so, right. you know, talk about, so my goal at that point was to not draw anymore. <laughs> and so you've eliminated reading, writing, and now you've eliminated drawing. drawing yes. Truly right. just didn't okay. want to do anything. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, um, and, and you're on the brink of being a loser for life. For so life. There's a, <laughs> there's a really narrow window. Here yeah. Yeah. Point. It was a very high stakes situation. <laughs> Right, right. Um, and uh, this was my dark night of the soul, you know, and I'd heard that in animation, you know, there's people who write the episodes and then there's a bunch of people who animate it. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, a separation of those two jobs. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And so um, I emailed. I didn't know anything about entertainment. I didn't know any, a single person in entertainment um, because, again, my, you know, like I went to art school. So everybody knew where art major. Right. And so I um, emailed everybody I knew and said, I have decided to be an animation writer. If you know how, tell me. And one person wrote back and said, I have a friend who is an assistant at Nickelodeon. And she says that they have a writing fellowship you can apply for. Wow. So what they, and they sent along yeah. the link to this writing program. Mm-hmm. It's now called the Nickelodeon writing program. Back then it was a fellowship. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I click on the link and I read all the guidelines of how to submit and what they're looking for and all their rules. And I Googled what is a spec script because they talk about a spec script a lot. That's right. And yeah. then I Googled yeah. what, how to write a spec script. Great. And I got a three day trial to final draft. I love And was this. like, I got three days. Three days to put this down on paper. Guys, this is so great. You know, there's so many different ways of how to do this, but I love this way. You had a three-day trial, <laughs> final draft, but it put that burner under you, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's do this. I got man. three days before this trial. Ends. And then by the time I got to the end of the trial, I discovered that you're not allowed to save, you can't save documents in the trial. Were you able to print it? I did a copy. I did a, a full document copy and paste into a Word document. Oh, whew. and then I sent it as a word document, which is so like, what a choice that was <laughs> the four. And I had a guess at all the formatting, you know, and like, because sure. back then it was very, very hard. Now there are all these like script databases, but back then exactly. like, it was so hard to find a script and just to see an example of what a script was like, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so I kind of had a guess because the ones that people were putting out were kind of people transcribing shows themselves. Right. Um, the format was garbage like none of it was correct um but you know i wrote this spec and because i i thought well this is a nickelodeon program so i better write a spec of a nickelodeon show so i wrote uh-huh. a spongebob squarepants spec oh nice yeah. yeah and i i turned that in and it, you know it's one of those programs where you you turn in your thing in january and they don't tell you if you're a semifinalist until september oh my so god your life is on hold for right. eight months you're supposed to just go and live your life you know right and so I'm working as an office temp and this temp agency often would send me to Nickelodeon to be like a temp for when someone's oh, going just, to the palace to observe know. everyone eating at the, at the King's table. Oh, <laughs> man. oh man, that's torture. Yeah. Yes. Oh, then I got a job working retail. Do you remember where it was? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. It was, uh, it was, uh, on third street in West Hollywood. It was a clothing boutique. It was like a fancy clothing, clothing boutique. boutique. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I, you know, I was working retail at this clothing boutique and 
just also, by the way, no plan B. I was like one egg, one basket. Yeah. See what happens, right. you know? Yeah. And um, you're, you're driving that band down to San Diego. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And so they call me in September. They say, you're a semifinalist. Wow. We would like to see a second script. Another three-day trial. <laughs> well, and also, <laughs> you know, like very stupidly, I said, well, I don't have a second script. And they said, and they, they were like, are you serious about being a writer? Because there was eight months. Like you, you didn't write another script in eight months. What have you been doing for eight months? Uh-oh. And I was, I've been working retail. And if you've never worked retail, it's very hard. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they said, well, you're not out of the running, but we do need to see a second script in four days. And they also said, uh, and make sure it's a primetime network sitcom. And I was like, okay, like we don't have to be so mean to me, okay? <laughs> you did this. <laughs> and so I, uh, so I wrote an office spec. Oh, very yes. good. Yes. And um, I wrote an office spec and I turned it into them and they loved it. And they had me come in for a million interviews. They really make you earn it. They really do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they did this very, very mean thing where, when it was down to four finalists, they ha- they made us all come in and sit in the lobby waiting area at the same time. And they called us in one at a time to do That's the interview. That's ridiculous. How many people are they going to admit? Is it just one person? Well, at the time, I didn't know how many people they could admit. But I later found out that they could take up to four if they chose to. Oh, they could have taken and, all of those people. At the time, I thought I was competing with all these people, you know. Yeah. And so, thankfully, I was the first person called in. For the interview. And um, and so as the assistant is leading me down the hallway to the conference room, I said to him, um, I was like, hey, no matter what happens in that room, when we walk out of there, will you just laugh with me? Uh And he goes, oh, totally. And so when we leave the interview room, we're both going, I'll see you next time. (laughs) Like as if we just had a ball. That's great. As we walk past everybody else. That's great. Yeah. And then, and how long is a a fellowship program like that? And do you feel like it really gave you the tools you needed to get on that road? And did it provide an opportunity? It changed my life. It was supposed to be a year long. And what was great about this program is it was paid and it was a salaried position. And the salary was like nearly double what I was making in marketing, you know? So That's amazing. I, I didn't know that they gave you uh, some money. Oh for yeah. Oh, it was okay. incredible. Like it was a higher salary than it was significantly higher than if I'd gotten a job as like an assistant or a coordinator in a gluten. Right. Like, and your job is to write. Yes. And also the fact that they were going to pay me to try to be a writer, which was what I was trying to do on my own, you know? That's and, amazing. What a great program. Yeah, yeah. But three months into this program, I had two different shows offered to staff me. Because of many of these shows, they ask the people, like, who's in the program that you have your eye on and that type of thing. Was it that type of thing? Or uh, did somebody find out that you were in the program? Or how, how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, the, the program definitely tries to, like, uh, introduce you to and place you in rooms. A, a lot of times what they do is they'll place you in a room just as the fellowship writer. So the show gets a free oh, writer okay. to sit Got in, it. but you... You know, you um, and you also get in-room experience and you're already salaried. Um, two things happen. Got One it, of the shows... It, what uh the first three months of the program, you know, you're meeting a lot of people and you're just learning, but also they assign you a show to write a spec script for, and you okay. get and you're getting notes. You go through the whole script writing process with the executive of the show, like giving you notes. Like basically, you're pretending to be a writer. Right. You're you know you're doing a dry run of writing a script for that show. And so mm-hmm. one of the shows I had done that, written a spec script, and and afterwards, after you do that, you turn it into the showrunner of the show, hoping that they'll read it and either give you notes or if they liked it enough, maybe then that'll let them that'll make them allow you to sit in on their room for the rest of the year. You know, that was mm-hmm. the hope. Um, and, you know, it's just to build relationships and build room. Experience. Absolutely. Right. Right. And so I wrote the script, the spec script for the show. The showrunner called me in and he was like, oh, I'm going to produce this. He was like, this is going to really help my production to the schedule. I'm just going to produce. We're going to make it. That's amazing. And it was, yeah, it was, um, I mean, that alone was, I was like, I'm, I'm going to have something that's on TV that I yeah. wrote. You know, this is nuts. I, I always call those indicators. Uh, I remember talking to my daughter, Lauren, who, you know, and I was saying it's when you're trying to make it, I said, it's not enough to just say, I'm going to do this, you know, da, da, da. <laughs> at least it wasn't for me. I wanted to have indicators that also told me I was doing the right thing. And indicators are objective of forms of telling you you're doing the right thing, like you win a contest or somebody notices your work or, you know, 
strangers laugh in a comedy club, you know, that type of thing, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. This is what I call an indicator, you know, that your work is being singled out like that, you know? Yeah. It's like a, it's a real world sign that you're yes, on the right track. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And at the same time, a different show had agreed, they had read the spec, the office spec I wrote. And based on that, they had agreed to let me sit in on their room. But then the first show said, you know, came back to me and said, you know what? Like, we'd love for you to join our room, you know? And I said, well, I just agreed to join this other room. And they said, well, then we'll staff you. We'll pay you. Like, we won't even take you as a free writer. We'll, we'll, we'll staff you like a, like an actual working writer. So then I went back to the other show and said, Hey, like this show is offering to pay, like make me a staff writer. Right. And they said, we'll make you a staff writer. Oh my God. Yeah. So which show did you wind up going to? I wound up going to this show called The Mighty Bee, which was co-created by and starring Amy Poehler. I mean, it was such a wonderful first experience because I just learned so much from, you know, from working on that show. Like it it really forced me to just write scripts because Mm -hmm. I, I could have in another scenario, if I'd gotten hired on a network show and spent like a season on a network show where I only as a staff writer only got like one script that season, I probably would have spent the entire time spiraling. Mm-hmm. And I probably would have psyched myself out, didn't write a great script. And then, and that would have been the long and short of my career. You know, the, the gift and the curse of, you know, working in kids TV at that time was you know, the budgets were so low. We had such a small staff. We had, uh, it was a 40 episode first season because it was 20 half hours. Yeah. It was 20 half hours, but each half hour was two 15 minute episodes. So technically there had to be 40 scripts for the first season. Mm-hmm. We had a writing staff of two people. Oh, yeah. So it was the showrunner and then two, two staff writers. So, I mean, I was writing scripts, like I had scripts coming out of my ears. I mean, I wrote so many scripts and That's great. yeah. And the other show that I had rejected was like freelancing me scripts too. Oh, nice. Oh yeah. So after working two seasons on that show, I mean, I'd written close to like 30 scripts, you know? So um, just, and so I didn't have time to spiral because I was just writing scripts co- like nonstop. And, yeah. and also it just made he really honed the skills of like Absolutely. structure story. Yeah. I like to point this out that we have a lot of people who want to be, want to do what you're doing, that type of stuff, or who want to break in. Talk about the importance of experience over just people think if they have a great idea, they can yeah. be a writer, but it's really about learning the craft of writing television, yeah. right? Absolutely. Here's the mm-hmm. thing. Like, this is what I always tell young writers because a lot of times like, you know, there'll be a, a young writer who's trying to break in and they always talk about they have got this great idea. And, you know, and every, if they could only just like say it to the yes. right, they'll flip for it. And, it, you know, right. then that, but it's like ideas are a dime a dozen. Truly, Absolutely. ideas are a dime a dozen. They really any, are. There's nothing new under the sun. Like nope. any idea that you come up with, some variation of that has been pitched at least 20 times. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, and that's, you know, so many variations of that idea ha- exists in script form. So, and here's the thing, like when you go and pitch something, you're not selling them on the idea. They've heard every idea, you know, um, but what you're selling them is, and really what they're b- paying for is the promise of execution of that idea. That's exactly right. Because you look at some of these incredibly successful shows, like look at Friends, one of the most successful shows of all time. What was the amazing idea there? Six friends nope. live in New York. Nothing. That's not groundbreaking. Like nope. how many hundreds of times has someone pitched six? This is a story of six friends. Absolutely. In fact, living single already existed. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not like it's yeah. not like these two writers walked into NBC and said, you know what you guys should do is a show about a couple of friends in their what? 20s. And the that's went, brilliant. What? Yes, We've I know. never thought about that, you know? But they, but they had paid their dues. Marta Co- the Kaufman Crane. Uh, Bright Kaufman Crane. They did that show Dream On. That was a very inventive show on HBO. They did before Friends. It's the experience that they brought to that of how to execute the show that was yeah. in their minds. Him. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because I mean, when you when you run a show, like you are in charge of this like multi million dollar company that yeah. has to. It's like a little company you're running, you know, and you're responsible for every aspect of it and. Like, and one, one good idea isn't going to be able to run a company, you know, you have to be able to make it all happen. And, you know, just imagine like taking an idea, if you gave it to five different people, you're going to get five different products. And that's why Uh execution is so important. That's exactly right. If you had a different, if a different person directed the original Jurassic Park, it would be a very different movie, you know? Absolutely. So it's really about that. Yeah. Yeah. And as a Chinese American woman in the business, what, did you find there were obstacles to people 
uh, maybe thinking that you could be on certain types of shows? Did you feel pigeonholed at all? Did you did you feel any of that, or were you able to just kind of sail through without people like people notice? Oh, you're Chinese. Wait, what happened here? <laughs> well, when I first started, it, you know, the landscape was very different. You know, yes. I was more often than not, I was the only woman. I was you. I was, and even more often than being the only woman is being the only person of color. You know, right. And so, you know, and, and back then it was like, there was no, there was no chance in hell that you could even like dream that there would be, you know, any sort of major show that would right. have like a, a, like a full, you know, POC cast, you know, it just wasn't going to be, you know, this wasn't that long ago. I, I mean, know that's the sad wow. part, you know, yeah. there wasn't like, you wouldn't even try to pitch a show like about a Chinese family because yeah. Nobody would buy it. They'd be like, no, 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 no. Right. It, have to be, it would have to be about the white person who lives next door to the Chinese exactly. family. You yeah. know? What's their yeah. reaction to them? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, because, you know, we can't relate to people unless they're white. Right. And so, um, so that was the landscape, you know? And, and I think that, and, you know, I had a lot of friends who were people of color who were like young writers and, you know, we all just kind of knew that this was, mm-hmm. this was how things worked. And, um, and also we all kind of had this attitude of like, well, I don't want to, you know, you have this very strange relationship to, mm-hmm. uh, to who you are, because on the one hand, you don't want to be pigeonholed, you know, you don't want to be known as the Asian writer, and you mm-hmm. don't want to, and you never want people just to be like, well, there's the diversity writer, you know, exactly, there was this yeah. whole thing. And also, the only legit, quote, unquote, legit shows were like white shows. And so it really yeah. was this, you know, system of white supremacy that basically, uh, made it seem like to everyone that has convinced everyone that like you've only made it and are only legitimate um, when you've made it to a white show because that is the pinnacle mm-hmm. of achievement, you know? Yeah, part of my mission in showbiz, Jessica, I tell people this, when when I started doing the PJs was to have the industry look at black shows, shows from people of color with the same type of uh, quality as they view the others. Like it was important yeah in my mind, to be nominated for top awards and to be a thought of in those and doing the Burning Mac show, not to give myself props, but hearing from other writers in the business, like how much they admired the quality of the show. Like, I find that so important for us to be on both sides of that, you know, mm-hmm. and and you, you're so right. It, people don't realize, like, this liberal Hollywood, <laughs> supposedly, or whatever, it's so, like, the white supremacy part of it, man. It's like yeah. this... Big thing. A lot of it has changed now for the better because there's so many people in different positions on the executive side, on the writer side. So many ways. It's so great. The the doors that are opening now and the type of stories that are being told. But for the longest time, like we're not talking that long ago. That's what I mean. People have to know, like what the thought of what is a quality show, you know, or the show that you should want to try to be a part of. Yeah. And like like you said earlier, you know, we don't get more than one shot. at Exactly. And not only. Yeah. And not only is it you don't get one shot of it as an individual professionally, you also have the weight and the pressure of Mm -hmm. your entire community because it's not just, oh, like if I made an Asian show at the time, if I had made an Asian show and it failed, it's not just, oh, Mm -hmm. Jessica gets to uh, Jessica has to go to comedy jail. Right. It's all Asian people go to jail. Like all Asian people cannot make shows anymore because this one show is an indicator of America's appetite for seeing Asian people on screen. And like, (laughs) they've never done that to white shows. You know, it's not like one white show flops and they're like, well, that's a wrap on the whites. You know, white people just don't, they don't got it no more. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, 
all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, let's go back to uh, to She-Hulk. So how did you get involved with this show? And did you present them a vision uh, of that show? You know I did, Larry. <laughs> well, the audience needs to know. Um, so after, you know, being rejected three times and threatening arson three times. Yes. Very important. Yes. And I, I kind of lost faith because the last, you know, the third thing that I didn't get was Shang-Chi and, and I was like, okay, if they're not going to hire me for the Chinese (laughs) superhero movie, Uh what are they going to hire me for? You know, like if I couldn't nail that, like maybe like it just wasn't in the cards for me. Like maybe I just am not a Marvel writer, you know? Uh-huh. And I, I kind of have to, and after being rejected three times, I was like, this is starting to feel a little like a, like I'm chasing a man who doesn't want to claim me, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, at a certain point, I like, I start feeling a little like, okay, like have a little dignity here. Sure. Um, and so at that point I kind of wrote it off. I was like, it's been three, three times is, is more than enough of, of trying. And if I'm not going to get this Chinese, you know, superhero movie, then like, I just don't see what else they, I would be perfect for with, you know, in their eyes. And so, um, so I kind of just gave up on the idea and then fast forward, they announced that they're doing a She-Hulk show. And, and it was like, like literally like, I think two months after we found out that our, our pilot wasn't going forward, you know, and I was already kind of in the depths of like, well, what's my life now? Cause you know, at that point I thought, oh, the next few years of my life is just hanging out with Larry every day. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a bad thing. (laughs) Talking about food all day. Talking about food all day. (laughs) So, you know, they announced that they were doing a She-Hulk show and I thought, well, you know, just when I thought I was out, you know, this is what's going to pull me back in. But I was also furious because I was like, I warned them. I was very clear what would happen if they didn't call me. And I don't have a missed call on my phone. Right. So I was, you know, I was furious. I was like fire and brimstone, getting ready to go and burn them to the ground because, you know, I keep I keep my promises. Yes. And then so, of course, my fiance truck, like, calmed me down and was like, I don't think they have a writer because they would have announced it, you know? And I was oh. like, no, I know what they did, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I told them what would happen, you know? And then literally two days later, they, you know, someone from Marvel called me and was like, would you like to pitch on She-Hulk? Wow. <laughs> and so, you know, what they do is they basically, they give you a dossier of like, um, you know, the character history in the comic, sure. some ideas that they've band like bandied about, but, but it's not, it's carte blanche. They're like, just, this is a starting point. This is just so you have like all the reference points and, you know, and see what we've already talked about, but you really could do anything. Like just pitch it to us, you know, like really they just wanted to see what you come up with. Yeah. What's in your brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so I went in and I pitched this show and I mean, I have to say like foundationally in its DNA, it's the show that you are, you know, it's very, very close to the show that you're watching. That's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, like, there's like a lot of plot, you know, that kind of got condensed. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's like a little a few side characters that kind of fell by the wayside, you know, as you kind of start weeding through the extraneous stuff, because there was a lot of I mean, I had a, I had a re- very fat, like, you know, pitch, like, with a lot of details and a lot of characters, like, I really mapped out everything. Right. So. And, and you're so you were so thoroughly familiar with that world and the yes. characters, too. So yeah, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. And because I'd been chasing this character for so long, like, you know, I just spent years thinking about how I would adapt this oh, character wow. in these comics. Yeah. So it, it really, you know, it all kind of just happened very organically. And it just felt like every, it felt like a culmination mm-hmm. that this was the moment, like all the, all that rejection, like all those years mm-hmm. of not getting it, like was leading to this point, you know, and also what was helpful was, you know, it marked three times that I pitched to Kevin Feige mm-hmm. and he's so lovely, you know, and each time there was, we, you know, there was more and more familiarity. It was more, more, more warm. Cause it was uh, like, yeah. 
like, oh, here's here's my annual yes, you know, check in. Here's my a- annual meeting with you where, <laughs> where I pour out where I pour my heart and soul onto the table and then you reject me. Yes. Like get going, you know. Right. And I mean this this was the one, you know, it, it this everything clicked. Everything just fell into place. Yeah, that's amazing. And did you have the I love what your personality is really in this so much. That's what I really love about it. And the wink and the nod to the camera. That sort of thing, you know, some of the scenes I look at, there's a bathroom scene in the pilot. I go, that feels so Jessica to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I I had a key. I had a fight for that scene to stay in. And um, because there were some people who just didn't understand the significance and what it meant, you know, and and I, I, I remember loudly and hyperbolically screaming like, this is the most important scene in that wow. entire episode. Yeah. Wow. And it's not really connected to the story, really. Well, right? Yeah. Well, that was the argument yeah. was like, you could easily pull this. Yeah. And and it wouldn't affect the story. I was like, OK, but that is not that was kind of a, a, a big like overarching fight, which is like just because something isn't expository or directly connected to plot doesn't mean that it doesn't belong because. That is the nature of tele- television is about the people. It's about the characters, you know, and, you know, and it's the little things. <laughs> yes. Texture. Yes, exactly. Like audiences love texture. You know? Yeah. Like how do you like get to know a character yes. and learn to love them? It's through all the little things, spending time with them and all these little character moments that aren't exposition, but That's it's right. painting a picture of who this person is. Like when you're getting to know a person, you know? Yeah. Oftentimes in sitcoms, especially they're so hungry for plot that they forget how important character is when you when you look at some of the classics that come to the seventies, like All in the Family, they're more they're written more like plays. And in mm-hmm. a play, first parts of plays, you're getting to know the character. You know, you see how they make their coffee. You know, the little rituals that they have. Yeah. You know, yeah, the little interplay and things like that. The story hasn't happened yet. You know, you're just getting to know this person. And I love touches like that where you get to know somebody and their personality, or you see the world texture about the world too. Sometimes it's that, you know, and that sort of thing, you know, or point of view, you know, this is a a woman's gaze. Like this show is written by a woman here, you know, and there's, Mm -hmm. we're going to have a certain point of view in this world that you don't always get to see, I think is part of this show too. It feels like, you know? Yeah. Well, cause I, one of my goals with the show was like, I wanted people who, you know, probably are Marvel fans or at least love watching the movies. Mm -hmm. And, but when they, but the type of person who for the last like, you know, 12 years has been like, I really like watching Marvel movies, but I never feel seen, you know, I can enjoy them, but I don't feel I'm being represented. I don't feel like this is for me or about me. Uh-huh. And I want those people to watch this show and and go, I finally feel seen. That's amazing. That's great. So you guys shot it in Atlanta. Yes. So let's talk about the making of the show. Cause the show like this, it feels like, I would be so intimidated because of all the technical aspects of it and everything too, you know, and how do you manage all the different parts of the show? Talk about the the biggest challenges to doing this type of show from that standpoint. Well, the thing with Marvel is that it is a machine, you know, like they, they have, they've created their own system of doing things for better or worse. And, uh, and, you know, like you are just, you are joining the machine. You are a small piece of the machine. You know, it's very different than, how any other TV or any other studio in general operates, but especially for TV, you know? Um, so, you know, th- there's just, there are all these moving parts to it mm-hmm. that have already been put in motion because th- they know how they do this. They know how they want to do this. They mm-hmm. have like a system. And um, so it kind of is like, there are certain aspects of it where, you know, you just like your involvement is minimal. Like mm-hmm. you, so much stuff, everything is done by committee there. And so you are a one voice of many in pretty much like in most aspects of things, you know? And so you kind of just have to accept it and go, go with, go with how they do things. Because it's a different type of mentality. It's uh, you're you're part of this big team. Yeah. And there are many people that have very specific, very important jobs that that make that work. It's, it's, some of it is almost like the old studio system. Like you're working for Louis B. Mayer in the thirties or something. Oh, it totally feels like that. It totally feels like that. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, the cast, Tatiana Maslany, she's so good. You know, what's, what's funny trying to imagine her in this and then seeing her, you go, Oh yeah. Perfect choice. You know, she like, because part of it for me, casting with the, there's a magic part of casting that you can't count on. 
you know, and it's her personality is so enjoyable to watch her as this character, you know, what, what was it like working with her? And did, did it, was there any learning curve? Did you guys have a lot of discussions about tone and that type of stuff? Because tone, it's, it's tricky to get that tone right in a piece yeah. like this, Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, TV is all about tone, you know? Absolutely. And, yeah. She was just so great. Like, mm -hmm. the first time I Zoomed with her, because it was at the beginning of the pandemic, like, the first time I Zoomed with her, like, she had read... The pilot script, which actually isn't the pilot that aired, we uh -huh. actually actually decided, you know, much late, like in post that this should be the first episode. Oh, wow. So oh, yeah. after that's mm -hmm. a, that's amazing. That's very unusual. Yeah, uh, yeah I was for, for this type of show. It's unusual, yes. I yes. Say. And I yeah. well, it's also it's, I've discovered it's not unusual for Marvel to make yeah. like big tweaks like at the last minute. Right. You know? By the um, way, uh, your your <laughs> penultimate episode is now your pilot. What? Yes, but it's the second yes. to the last episode. Yes, exactly. And it was the penultimate episode, Larry. You was got it? it. Yes, it was. How did I guess that? Yeah. That, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny was when we wrote it, it this this flashback was going to be the fourth episode because I, I wanted to I love starting a show kind of just already in it, you know, yes. I wanted to start it already in it. And then for three in episodes, dark. you kind of just get to know her life. And then you're kind of it's you know, but you're kind of like, I, I want to know how she got to this point. But because you kind of have already gone through a little bit of her life with her sure. by the fourth episode, it felt like, okay, like, that's not too long for you to have to wait, you know, like, you've gotten to know her a little bit. And now you're getting the blanks filled in. Mm -hmm. And then you can move on with your life and watch the rest of the season. So that was kind of how it was designed in the writer's room. And then I think it was, it might've been midway through production, but like pretty late in the game, uh, we moved, or no, actually, I think it might've been at the beginning of production. Like when mm -hmm. we first started shooting, um, there were a bunch of like issues, like, you know, like so many different like moving parts that right. it was decided that it actually made more sense to, to make it the penultimate episode. And then it felt wow. like, um, Interesting. yeah, you know what it was before we was shooting, because I remember going back in and just, you know, going through the seasonal arc and making sure that like, then it felt and rewriting the script so that it felt like, you know, the season was building towards something kind of, uh -huh. you know, like so many factors were building towards this thing. And then the penultimate episode, like you really kind of take a breath. Yes, you go back a, a little yes. bit. Yeah. And it puts mm -hmm. everything in context too. Like everything yes. you've been watching, it puts all of that into context now, knowing this backstory, you know. And now they're ready for the finale. Yes. And now yeah. you're sure. going into the finale armed with all the information. Yes. Um, and it wasn't until yeah, and it wasn't in, until post that it was decided to move that to the beginning because uh I really just overestimated how familiar people would be with her. And so, like, you know, just people would watch it and, and say, like, I, I can't, I can't, I'm too distracted by thinking about how and why, you know, how mm -hmm. did this happen to her? What were the circumstances? Makes sense. Yeah. And it was also hard for them to just jump into it having, because they just want to know all of these things and it keeps like gnawing away at them. And I think they would have, they probably might have been willing to wait till four, but they certainly weren't going to wait till eight, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. So, and also, you know, there was a worry that, you know, this wasn't going to be a binge drop. It was going to be episodic. And so you don't want to wear out people's mm. patience because, because that's the other thing that I also was taking for granted is that like, you know, cause I was so in love with the show that I was like, well, of course they're going to watch till the end. But, but, you know, was uh, then hammered in home to me that like, no, you, if they're, if they're frustrated after like two or three episodes, they could just stop. They could just stop after the first episode and yeah. you have no guarantee that you can't save that stuff if they might not ever get to it. Yeah. Um, and so all of that, I mean, I really, I really fought Kevin a lot on, on changing this, but like, I, I do think ultimately it was, it, it works. Like, I think it works this way. Um, I hate that I'm admitting publicly that he was right. <laughs> well, I think it's the, the reasoning. I look at it like this. It's not that it couldn't work the other way. But for his yeah. reasoning of why he wants it this yeah. way, it does make sense. Now, if you had yes. different reasoning, then the other way would make sense. So to me, it's a matter of how you're looking yeah. at it, not what's the best storytelling route. But I, he's probably yeah. just really thinking of the broadest audience is, is what I'm thinking. Oh, yes, yeah. totally. I mean, because he's done this a million times for yeah. him, you know, and well, the and really, honestly, the only reason I was so resistant was because I just felt like. 
if I had known that I was going to be writing a premise pilot, then at starting the show with her origin, I would have written sure, it differently. Sure. You know, like that was the thing. Like sure. I would have designed this. I would have designed the pilot sure. to be an origin story. Like there is a little, you know, there's like a couple of things here and there that, you know, was clearly from the, from, from after knowing her and seeing her all season. So like, I, I just wish that I could have designed it from the beginning rather than trying to like make it fit, you know? That is so interesting. So mm-hmm. it kind of determined a little bit of the style of that particular episode, I would think, because yeah, you're consciously now doing that as that type of episode. Yes. Yes. Uh, a real learning curve. Yeah. What, what, what? Okay. So the show is for people listening to this, the show is out now, so we're not spoiling anything in terms of that first episode. It's, it is, it's premise that you kind of learn how, she became who she is and she kind of takes us into the flashback herself, which is kind of interesting. Yes. Now, yes. was that taking us into it? Is that the, the fix of it? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. That's what I thought. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So then, you know, that's like additional photography. Got it. Cause I'm like, Hmm. Yeah. This is very, that's a very interesting choice here. And now it's very interesting to know that that's why that was done. Yes. If you felt you know, some tinge, like a little tingle of like, hmm, like that's why. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that. It's just that you can't trick me, Jessica. Like, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> no, but it's very well done. I love, uh, I love the uh, the way that it actually uh, manifested itself. And uh, you're dealing with uh, there's, you know, so many different types of cast members coming along and that type of stuff. Um, a lot of uh, fun surprises for the audience up ahead of course of yeah. course i i i might be a little biased but i think the show just gets better and better and better yeah that's so cool um and how many episodes are there there's nine episodes oh very good and so yeah. they're gonna drop it one at a time right yes weekly drop um and i i'm just so looking forward to all the memes that come out of this show yeah have you, what's the reaction you've gotten so far oh uh there's two things that people cite the most uh-huh. um one is you know and here's our big spoiler warning if you haven't watched the spoiler pilot, spoiler alert, now, spoiler we're alert, talk about the pilot um one is uh you know uh, when they're at the bar there's that little image of uh, uh bruce banner and tony stark's initials carpet of the bar you know yes. that that made people very emotional which was my intent oh. i wanted to tug those heartstrings yeah and uh, the other thing, of course, is the tag where she screams, Love Captain it. America, fuck! But yeah, fantastic. The tag <laughs> was so funny. I mean, uh, that's my crowning achievement uh, professionally is, is yeah. getting her to say that. Yeah, that was great. I love the fact that that's we have to look forward to that, too. You know, <laughs> those, those types of things. Have you guys started on a, uh, Do you know anything about a second season yet? Like, what does Marvel do? Do they wait for the first season or? I mean, I I don't know what, what they do, but I don't even I don't want to think about anything Marvel right yeah. now. <laughs> I just I want to I want to finish this show yeah. and I want to take a goddamn break. Oh, yeah. Well, you deserve it. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate you being here, Jessica. It's so much fun talking to you. Let's let's talk about I just want to talk about your parents again. Yeah. <laughs> Your parents are the funniest people in the world. I think. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Unintentionally the funniest. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta put that caveat in there. Okay, so tell that story real quick about what happened to you as a child. You, you were living in America. Yes. Wait. First, yes. we have to talk about when they first met you and the burning question inside of their souls. Yes, your your parents thought I was Chinese, right? Yes, I and I told you, remember, I said when my parents meet you, they're not going to think you're black. Yes. And 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 then you were like, "What are you talking?" About? I was like, "I'm telling you, like you're too light-skinned, they're not going to think you're black." What and is that? Well, we don't understand you, what that is. Yes, <laughs> right. You thought that was crazy. Yeah. And then they met you, and then of course, the first thing they asked me after meeting you was, "What is he?" Because of course they they can't they can't like you, you, they have to be able to categorize your ethnicity before you can like exist in their, in their brains. Right. And so they're like, what is he? And I, uh, and, um, and I think I even said like, what do you think he is? Cause of course I yes. knew. Yeah. And um, they were like, we don't know. And you know, they were like so perplexed, like it clearly had been gnawing away at them. They're like, we don't know. We can't figure it out. And I said, he's black. And, and they were like, what? <laughs> and I, and I just, I remember smirking thinking, can't wait to tell Larry. And, um, and I said, well, what do you, what did you think? Like, what was, what, what would have been your closest guess? Mm-hmm. And my dad goes, I thought he was a Chinese man. Oh God. 
And I was like, I wish, I wish I spoke Mandarin. You know, <laughs> so that's the one time I wish I could have pulled that off and had them thinking to this day that I was Chinese. Oh my God. You should have had Lauren there. I know. I know. What was I thinking? Okay. So the story is, so I was born in China yeah. and in Beijing. And then when I was four, I came to America mm-hmm. and, um, f- you know, fully was like, okay, this is my life now. I live in America now. You know, I, I don't have to use an outhouse anymore. And um, I love and, how aware you are of that at four years old. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was seven, I think I was on the cusp of turning. It was very close to my eighth birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents decided to send me back to China. And what was the reasoning? What were they thinking? Well, okay, the party line that I was fed mm-hmm. was that uh, they were afraid I was going to lose the language because you know once I started going to school in America, mm-hmm. I would only speak English allegedly. Uh-huh. And, um, and so they were like, well, we don't want her to lose language. You know, a lot of our friends, kids who have immigrated, um, they don't speak any Chinese at all anymore because of that. Uh-huh. And so they were like, obviously the, the solution is not to, you know, have a Chinese only rule in the house or send her to Chinese school of which there were many in the San Gabriel Valley, as you know, they were like, uh-huh. the only solution is to send her back to the old country. And so they sent me back for a full year and I went to school in China for a year and they wouldn't let me live with either sets of grandparents because my mom said that uh, they would spoil me and she didn't want a brat when I came back. And so she sent me to go live with her old best friend from the neighborhood, wow. like her best friend, like down the block from her, from my grandparents' house. And, um, and so I lived with this woman and she paid her like a hundred bucks a month to take me. And apparently that was a great deal. That's crazy. And wasn't there a, a bet with your parents or are you, Okay. Oh, so yes. So originally they wanted to send me for three years because okay. they were like, that's going to be enough to really cement it. Then you're going to become literate, you know? And, uh, and then I haggled with them. We negotiated at the table down. I haggled them down to one year with the caveat that if I did the one year, when I came back, they would have to get me a puppy, which was like my entire goal in life. at the Right. Time. And, um, and so they agreed. And then I was like, well, these people have burned me many times on empty promises so i'm seven years old you've already been burned (laughs) by promises so many i was a seasoned vet at the art of the yes at the negotiating table too yeah (laughs) for this huge life-changing thing i can't believe that you had that conversation at seven yeah and so then we so then i said we got to put it in writing i need to see a contract And so we wrote out a contract and it literally just said, if Jessica goes to China for a year and then comes back and gets a puppy and I made both of them sign it, you know? And I was like, you both have to sign. And then, you know, armed with this contract, then I was like, okay, I'm willing to do this. Like now we've, we're entering a consensual agreement, you know, and I have this binding agreement. Oh my God. Oh yeah. And then when I went to, um, uh, when I came back after the one year, my parents said, okay, well, you know, they, they reneged on the deal, just like I knew they were. <laughs> they said the agreement was for three years. Yeah. So if you want this puppy, you have to go. They were like, you can stay for the summer, but when the school year starts, you got to go back and you got to do two more years. So they're trying to send you back to China. Yes. And um, and I was like, no, no, I had a contract. But then I realized, like, I didn't keep the contract. And the contract, you know, the, I mean, that's when I learned you got to get everything in triplicate. So you have your own copy. Amazing. That's the lesson I learned. But I and then I refused to go back to China. So so I stayed and I got a puppy. These are the life lessons that you all must learn from Jessica Gao. When you're <laughs> seven years old, get agreements from your parents in triplicate. Yes, in triplicate is so important. Yes, because they will screw you. They yeah, will they'll find throw a way, away, they'll they throw away the contract you. when you're not yeah. looking. I think that's good advice. <laughs> good <laughs> advice. Uh well, congrats again. Last thing I want to ask you. Um since you started by pitching these movies. So when are we going to see the Jessica Gao Marvel movie? Is it still the thing that you want to do? Yeah. The, the, the movie that I want to see is the movie that you and I. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. We still have to do that. Jessica and I thought of this it, movie yeah. idea that we love. Yeah. We're not going to talk about it, but yeah, we can't talk about it. It'd be great. Yes. Well, let's definitely do that. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I have not forgotten about that. Yeah. Uh, well, she hoped, guys uh you have the she hulk attorney at law and uh it's so entertaining and i know everybody's watching it now you know these marvel things but this one it's so funny it's just and i have to say the you know even though you know i know you you know didn't necessarily want this episode the interplay between her and hulk i think is really really entertaining you know wonderful i mean their chemistry is through the roof it really is i was gonna say that and when you think of it as a sitcom it's like well this is gold 
This yeah. is what you want, that type of thing. This is the dream of, of, of sitcoms, is having actors of this caliber and having yes. this chemistry together. Yeah. Yes. And also just for anyone who spends time with a cousin, like, they feel like real cousins. Yeah, like, they do. That's that's Those are like real cousin interactions. Yeah, because they're fighting, you know, it's family fighting type yes. of thing or whatever, which is great. Yes, totally. Well, well, congratulations, Jessica. I'm hoping for many, many seasons, as many as you want to do until you're tired of reading, writing, and drawing, and then you can stop. thanks so much for having me it was so great to see you my pleasure jessica gal everybody she hope streaming on disney plus now this episode is brought to you by hotels.com when i went on my last holiday to cape town it was amazing My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.